On this episode of The Grizz, we're going to dive back into our series from J.C. Ryle's outstanding book, Thoughts for Young Men. Specifically, we'll be looking at part three of the book where he gives what he calls general counsels to young men. And with those general counsels, he talks about six things in particular. Number one, he talks about getting a clear view of the evil of sin getting a clear view of the evil of sin. Number two, he talks about seeking to become acquainted with our Lord Jesus Christ. Number three, he talks about never forgetting that nothing is as important as your soul. Number four, he talks about remembering that it is possible to be a young man and yet to serve God wholeheartedly. Number five, he talks about to determine as long as you live, to make the Bible your constant guide and advisor. And then lastly, he talks about being extremely careful who you choose as close friends. As I've said before, my brothers, these words from J.C. Rao in this book are gold, like, man, precious stones that will keep you from many painful consequences and open up a world of blessings upon your life, your marriage, your family, your friendships, your career, your ministry, etc. Do not blow off what you're going to hear from J.C. Ryle. I'll be making a few comments along the way, as I always do. There's an Amazon link in the show notes for you to order your own copy of this book. You definitely want to add this book right here to your library. It is one of those books that we as Christian men, young and old, need to go back and revisit often. So here we go. Listening to the Grizz Podcast. We're here to guide, encourage, and equip you on your journey with Christ. Now, here's your host, the man who once murdered a groundhog with a baseball bat, Jason George. All right, as I said, this is part three of J.C. Ryle's outstanding book, Thoughts for Young Men, where he gives what he calls general counsels to young men, or what I would call general guidance for young men. He starts out, he says, in the third place, I wish to give some general counsels to young men. Number one, try to get a clear view of the evil of sin try to get a clear view of the evil of sin. And I want to say right off the bat, man, I pray this all the time for myself and also the guys that I work with one-on-one and also in our climb teams. Sin is a deception. It only reveals the bait, but never the hook. So J.C. Ryle is saying my first counsel to young men is to try to get a clear view of the evil of sin. He goes on, he says, young men, if you did know what sin is and what sin has done, you would not think it's so strange that I exhort you as I do. You do not see it in its true colors. Your eyes are naturally blind to its guilt and danger, and therefore you cannot understand what makes me so worried about you. Oh, don't let the devil succeed in persuading you that sin is a small matter. He's he's spot on, guys. He's saying, don't let the devil succeed in persuading you that sin is no big deal. It's no big deal. Who cares? That's nothing compared to what a lot of other guys are doing. Do not let the devil persuade you like that. 
He goes on, think for a moment what the Bible says about sin, how it dwells naturally in the heart of every man and woman alive, Ecclesiastes 7.20 and Romans 3.23, how it defiles our thoughts, words, and actions, and that, and it does it continually, Genesis 6.5, Matthew 5.19, how it renders us all guilty and abominable in the sight of a holy God, Isaiah 64, 6, Habakkuk 1, 13, how it leaves us utterly without hope of salvation if we look to ourselves, Psalm 143, verse 2, and Romans 3, 20, how its fruit in this world is shame and its wages in the world to come is death, Romans 6, 21, and verse 23. Think calmly about all this. I tell you this day, it is just as sad to be dying of cancer and not knowing it as it is to be a living man and not know it. Think what an awful change sin has worked in all our natures. Man is no longer what he was when God formed him out of the dust of the ground. He came out of God's hand upright and sinless, Ecclesiastes 7.29. In the day of his creation, he was like everything else, quote unquote, very good, Genesis 1.31. And what is man now? A fallen creature, a ruin, a being that shows the marks of corruption all over. His heart, like Nebuchadnezzar, degraded and earthly, looking down and not up. His affections like a household in disorder, calling no man master. All extravagance and confusion. His understanding like a lamp flickering in the socket, impotent to guide him, not knowing good from evil. His will like a rudderless ship, tossed to and fro by every desire and constant only in choosing any way rather than God's. What a wreck man is compared to what he might have been. We may understand such figures being used as blindness, deafness, disease, sleep, death, when the Spirit has to give us a picture of a man as he is. A man as he is, remember, was made that way by sin. Sin, guys, what he's saying is sin, remember, it has jacked up everything about humanity. And without Christ, humanity is hopeless. Look at what sin has done. Things are not as they should be. The world, the planet is not as it should be. You, your body is not as it should be. Us, our souls, our minds are not as they should be. Our relationships with others are not as they should be. And why is all of this? J.C. Rowell is saying, don't forget, it's all because of sin. So when sin tempts you and you want to be like, oh, it's not that big, de that big a deal. Like, you know, he said, believing the enemy's lie. It's not that big a deal. He says, man, think about what sin has done. Don't tell me it's not a big deal. Look at where we are now humanity. He goes on, he says, think too what it has cost to make atonement for sin and to provide a pardon and forgiveness for sinners. God's own son must come into the world and take upon him our nature in order to pay the price of our redemption and deliver us from the curse of a broken law. He who was in the beginning with the Father and by whom all things were made must suffer for sin, the just for the unjust, must die the death of a criminal before the way to heaven can be laid open to any soul. See the Lord Jesus Christ, despised and rejected of men, scourged, mocked, and insulted. Look at him, bleeding on the cross of Calvary. Hear him crying in agony. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Note how the sun was darkened and the rocks shook at that sight. And then consider, young men, what must be the evil and guilt of sin that caused all of that? Think also what sin has already done on the earth. Think how it threw Adam and Eve out of Eden. It brought the flood upon the old world. It caused fire to come down on Sodom and Gomorrah. It drowned Pharaoh and his army in the Red Sea. It destroyed the seven wicked nations of Canaan. It scattered the 12 tribes of Israel over the face of the earth. 
Sin alone did all of this. That's why all of that happened because of sin, because of man's disobedience. Think, moreover, of all the misery and sorrow that sin has caused and is causing to this very day. Pain, disease, death, strifes, quarrels, divisions, envy, jealousy, malice, deceit, fraud, cheating, violence, oppression, robbery, selfishness, unkindness, and ingratitude. All these are the fruits of sin. Sin is the parent of them all. It is sin that has so marred and spoiled the face of God's creation. Dude, guys, I am telling you, stop living like your sin is no big deal. Think about some other things that J.C. Ryle didn't mention that sin is called, caused, that sin is the, the parent of. Things like separation, divorce, abuse, fatherlessness, broken homes, so much related to things like anxiety, depression, mental health, addiction. What's the parent of all of it? Sin. Sin caused all of it. He goes on, he says, young men, consider these things and you will not wonder that we preach as we do. Surely, if you did think of them, you would break with sin forever. Will you play with poison? Will you sport with hell? Will you take fire in your hand? Will you harbor your deadliest enemy in your arms? Will you go on living as if it mattered nothing whether your sins were forgiven or not, whether sin had dominion over you or you over sin? Oh, awake to a sense of sin's sinfulness and danger. Remember the words of Solomon. Fools mock at making amends for sin, but goodwill is found among the upright. Proverbs 14, 9. This makes me also think of that passage in Romans chapter 13, where it says, you know, awake sleeper, arise from the dead. Let me turn there real quick and read that to you. We have to wake up to the seriousness of sin and the dangers of sin. Romans chapter... 13. It says, starting in verse 12, the night is on, wait, this time. no, start at verse 11. And do this, knowing the time that it is already the hour for you to awaken from sleep. For now, salvation is nearer to us than when we believed. The night is almost gone and the day is at hand. Therefore, let us lay aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the day not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual promiscuity and sensuality, not in strife and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh in regard to its lust. What was the first thing he tells us, the first command there? Awake, wake up. Hear then the request that I make of you this day, J.C. Ryle says, pray that God would teach you the real evil of sin. If you would have your soul saved, then get up and pray that God would teach you the real evil of sin. Man, this is great, great wisdom, great guidance, great advice for young men and old men. Number two, counsel that he gives to young men. Seek to become acquainted with our Lord Jesus Christ. This is indeed the principal thing in Christianity. This is the cornerstone of Christianity. Till you know this, my warnings and advice will be useless, and your endeavors, whatever they may be, will be in vain. A watch that does not keep time is as useless as religion without Christ, oh my goodness, let me say that again. A watch that does not keep time is as useless as religion without Christ. But don't let me be misunderstood. It is not the mere knowing of Christ's name that I mean. It is the knowing of his mercy, grace, and power. The knowing of him, not by the hearing of the ear, but by the experience of your hearts. I want you to know him 
by faith. I want you, as Paul says, to know the quote-unquote power of his resurrection, becoming like him in his death, Philippians 3.10. I want you to be able to say of him, he is my peace and my strength, my life and my consolation, my physician and my shepherd, my savior and my God. Guys, this is so profound, dude, so good, so needed. What he's saying is your theology must move from head to heart. It must become experiential because we can know a whole lot about Jesus in our head, but miss the point of truly knowing him in our heart, becoming close with him, experiencing him, fellowshipping with him, seeing his hand at work in our life, the, the, the presence of God in our life. That's what we need to be going after. Why do I make J.C. Ryle goes on. Why do I make such a point of this? I do it because in Christ alone, quote unquote, all his uh, God's fullness dwells. Colossians 1.19. Because in him alone, there is a full supply of all that we require for the needs of our souls. Of ourselves, we are all poor, empty creatures empty of righteousness and peace, empty of strength and comfort, empty of courage and patience, empty of power to stand or go on or make progress in this evil world. It is in Christ alone that all these things are to be found. Grace, peace, wisdom, righteousness, sanctification, and redemption. It is just in proportion as we live upon him that we are strong Christians. It is only when self is nothing and Christ is all our confidence. It is only then that we shall do great exploits. Oh, I got to read that one again. It is only when self is nothing and Christ is all our confidence. It is only then that we shall do great exploits. Only then are we armed for the battle of life and shall overcome. Only then are we prepared for the journey of life and shall move forward. To live on Christ, to draw all from Christ, to do all in the strength of Christ, to ever be looking to Christ. This is the true secret of spiritual prosperity. Quote unquote, I can do everything, says Paul, through him who gives me strength. Philippians 4.13 Young men, I set before you Jesus Christ this day as the treasury of your souls, and I invite you to begin by going to him. Let this be your first step. Go to Christ. Do you want to consult friends? He is the best friend, a friend who sticks closer than a brother, Proverbs 18, 24. Do you feel unworthy because of your sins? Do not fear. His blood cleanses from all sin. He says, though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they are red as crimson, they shall be like wool, Isaiah 1, 18. Do you feel weak and unable to follow him? Do not fear. He will give you the power to become sons of God. He will give you the Holy Spirit to live in you and seal you for his own. He will give you a new heart and he will put a new spirit within you. Are you troubled or beset with a strange bent to evil? Do not fear. There is no evil spirit that Jesus cannot cast out. There is no disease of soul that he cannot heal. Do you feel doubts and fears? Throw them aside. Come to me, he says. Whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. He knows very well the heart of a young man. He knows your trials and your temptations, your difficulties and your foes. In the days of his flesh, he was like yours. His flesh was like yours. A young man at Nazareth, he knows by experience a young man's mind. He can understand the feeling of your temptations because he himself suffered when he was tempted. Surely you will be without excuse if you turn away from such a savior and friend as this. Hear the request I make of you this day. If you love life, seek to become acquainted with Jesus Christ. Man, dude, got to read that again. If you love life, 
seek to become acquainted with Jesus Christ. And remember, he's talking about more than a head knowledge, more than theology, more than Christology. He's talking about that experiential, close walk, walking in the light as he is in the light. Come to know him. Number three, general counsel from J.C. Ryle to young men. He says, never forget that nothing is so important as your soul. Never forget that nothing is so important as your soul. Your soul is eternal. It will live forever. The world and all that it contains will pass away. Firm, solid, beautiful, well-ordered as it is, the world will come to an end. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire and the earth and everything in it will be laid bare. Second Peter 3.10. The works of statesmen, writers, painters, architects are all short-lived. Your soul will outlive them all. The angel's voice shall proclaim one day that there will be no more delay. Revelation 10.6. Try, I beg you, to realize the fact that your soul is the one thing worth living for. It is the part of you which ought always to be considered first. No place, no employment is good for you, which injures your soul. No friend, no companion deserves your confidence who makes light of your soul's concerns. The man who hurts you, your property, your character, only does you temporary harm. Your true enemy is the one who plots to damage your soul. Think for a moment why you were born into the world. Not merely to eat and drink and indulge the desires of the flesh, not merely to dress up your body and follow its lusts wherever they may lead you, not merely to work and sleep and laugh and talk and enjoy yourselves and think of nothing but time. No, you were meant for something higher and better than this. You were placed here to train for eternity. Your body was only intended to be a house for your immortal spirit. It is flying in the face of God's purposes to do as many do, to make the soul a servant to the body and not the body a servant to the soul. Young men, God does not show favoritism or respects the honor bestowed by men. He rewards no man's heritage or wealth or rank or position. He does not see with man's eyes. The poorest saint that ever died in a ghetto is nobler in his sight than the richest sinner that ever died in a palace. Let me read that again. The poorest saint that ever died in a ghetto is nobler in his sight than the richest sinner that ever died in a palace. God does not look at riches, titles, education, beauty, or anything of the kind. There is only one thing that God does look at, and that is the immortal soul. He measures all men by one standard, one measure, one test, one criterion, and that is the state of their souls. Do not forget this. Keep this in view morning, noon, and night, the interest of your soul. Rise up each day, desiring that your soul may excel. Lie down each evening, inquiring of yourselves, whatever your soul has really grown. Remember Zeuxis, the great painter of old. When men asked him why he labored so intensely and took such extreme pains with every picture, his simple answer was, I paint for eternity. Do not be ashamed to be like him. Set your immortal soul before your mind's eye. And when men ask you why you live as you do, answer them in his spirit. I live for my soul. Believe me, the day is fast coming when the soul will be the one thing men will think of. And the only question of importance will will be this. Is my soul lost or saved? So good, so true, so sobering. He's talking about eternity, judgment. It is closer than we realize, guys. Believe me, the day is fast coming when the soul will be the one thing men will think of. And the only question of importance will be this. Is my soul lost or saved?
Number four, general counsel to young men. Remember, it is possible to be a young man and yet to serve God wholeheartedly. He's talking about it's possible to be a young man and yet to be all in, all in for Jesus Christ. He goes on, he says, I fear the snares that Satan lays for you on this point. I fear that he will succeed in filling your minds with the vain notion that to be a true Christian as a youth is impossible. I have seen many carried away by this delusion. I have heard it said, you are requiring an impossibility in expecting so much Christianity from young people. Youth is no time for seriousness. Our desires are strong, and it was never intended that we should keep them under such strong Christian control as you wish us to do. God meant for us to enjoy ourselves. There will be plenty of time for religion in the future. J.C. Ryle answers this. He says, and this kind of talk is only too much encouraged by the world. The world is only too ready to wink at youthful sins. The world appears to think it a matter of course that young men must, quote unquote, sow their wild oats. The world seems to take it for granted that young people must be irreligious and that it is not possible for them to follow Christ. Young men. I will ask you this simple question. Where will you find anything of this in the word of God? Where is the chapter or verse in the Bible which will support this talking and reasoning of the world? Doesn't the Bible speak to old and young alike without distinction? Is not sin, sin, whether committed at the age of 20 or 50, Will it form the slightest excuse in the day of judgment to say, I know I sinned, but I was young then. I was young then, God. Show your common sense, I beg of you, by giving up such vain excuses. You are responsible and accountable to God from the very moment that you know right and wrong. I beg of you by giving up such vain excuses. You are responsible and accountable to God from the very moment that you know right and wrong accountable. You will face him and you will give an account for every single thing. Every word, every deed, every thought, every secret will come to the light. J.C. Ryle goes on. He says, I know very well that there are many difficulties in a man's way, but there are always difficulties in the way of doing right. The path to heaven is always narrow. Whether we be young or old, there are difficulties, but God will give you the grace to overcome them. God is no hard master. He will not, like Pharaoh, require you to make bricks without straw. He will make sure that the path he requires us to walk is never an impossible road. He never gave commands to he never gave commands to man which he would not give man the power to perform. That's so good. He never gave commands to man which he would not give man the power to perform. Reminds me of Philippians 4.13. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That doesn't mean I can do all things like I could fly if I jump off a high building. No, it's talking about what God has asked of me to do. I can do it through his power, not of my own, but through his power. He goes on, he says, There are difficulties, but many a young man has overcome them in the past, and so can you. Moses was a young man with passions like yourself, but see what is said of him in Scripture. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to be mistreated along with the people of God, rather than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a short time. He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt, because he was looking ahead to his reward. Hebrews 11, 24 through 26. Daniel was a young man when he began to serve God in Babylon. He was surrounded by temptations, yet Daniel's life was so blameless and consistent that even his enemies could not find any fault in him, except, quote unquote, it has to be something to do with the law of his God, Daniel 6, 5. And these are not solitary cases. There is a cloud of witnesses whom I could name. Time would not allow me. 
If I were to tell you of young Isaac, young Joseph, young Joshua, young Samuel, young David, young Solomon, young Abijah, young Obadiah, young Josiah, young Timothy, these were not angels, but men with natural hearts like your own. They, they too had obstacles to contend with, lusts to mortify, trials to endure, hard places to travel like any of you. But young as they were, they all found it possible to serve God. Will they not all rise in judgment and condemn you if you persist in saying it cannot be done? Young men, try to serve God. Resist the devil when he whispers it is impossible. Try, and the Lord God of the promises will give you strength in the trying. He loves to meet those who struggle to come to him, and he will meet you and give you the power that you feel you need. Be like the man whom Bunyan's pilgrim saw in the interpreter's house. Go forward boldly, saying, quote unquote, write down my name. Those words of our Lord are true, though I often hear them repeated by heartless and unfeeling tongues. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be open to you. Matthew 7, 7. He goes on, he says, Difficulties which seem like mountains shall melt away like snow in the spring. Obstacles which seem like giants in the distance will dwindle into nothing when you actually face them. The lion that blocks the way that you are traveling and causes you great fear will prove to be chained and unable to harm you. If men believe the promises more, they would never be afraid of their assigned duties. But remember that little word I press upon you. And when Satan says, you cannot be a Christian while you are young, answer him. Get behind me, Satan. By God's help, I will try. Number five, general counsel that he gives to young men. Determine as long as you live to make the Bible your guide and advisor. Determine as long as you live to make the Bible your guide and advisor. Let me grab a sip of my coffee real quick. The Bible is God's merciful provision for sinful man's soul. The map by which we must steer his course if he would attain eternal life. All that we need to know in order to make us peaceful, holy, or happy is richly contained there. If a young man wants to know how to begin his life well, let him hear what David says. How can a young man keep his way pure? By living according to your word. Psalm 119.9 Young men, I charge you to make a habit of reading the Bible and not let the habit be broken. He's saying, make a habit of reading the Bible and never let that habit be broken till the day you die. Make a daily habit of reading the Bible. Do not let the laughter of friends, do not let the bad customs of the family you live in, do not let any of those things prevent your doing it. Determine that you will not only have a Bible, but also make time to read it too. Allow no man to persuade you that it is only a book for Sunday school children and old women. It is the book from which King David got wisdom and understanding. It is the book which young Timothy knew from his childhood. Never, never be ashamed of reading it. Do not quote unquote scorn instruction. Proverbs 13, 13. Read it with the prayer that the Holy Spirit's grace will help you understand it. It has been said, quote unquote, a man may just as soon read the scripture without eyes as understand the spirit of it without grace. So what he's saying there is as we read the Bible, pray for the spirit of God to help you as you read it, to enlighten it, to bring it to life, to guide it, guide you in it and to uh, make application of its commands to your life. Read it reverently, he says, as the word of God, not of man, believing implicitly that what it approves is right, what it condemns is wrong. Be very sure that every doctrine which will not stand the test of scripture is false. 
This will keep you from being tossed to and fro and carried about by the dangerous opinions of these latter days. Be very sure that every practice in your life, which is contrary to scripture, is sinful and must be given up. I'm say that again. Be very sure that every practice in your life, which is contrary to scripture, is sinful and must be given up. This is where you've got to understand it's not just about reading the Bible daily. It's about doing what it says. Because what does God say in the book of James? He said, blessed is the one who is not only a hearer or reader of the word of God, but a doer of the word of God. You've got to do what it says to experience the blessings of God that come from the word of God. That's what Ryle is saying here. Be very sure that every practice in your life, which is contrary to scripture, is sinful and you must give it up. This will settle many a question of conscience and cut the knot of many a doubt. Remember how differently two kings of Judah read the word of God. Jehoiakim read it and at once tore the pages to pieces and burned it in the fire. Jeremiah 36, 23. And why did he do that? because his heart rebelled against it, and he was resolved not to obey. Josiah, on the other hand, read it, read the word of God, and at once tore his clothes and cried mightily to the Lord, 2 Chronicles 34, 19. And why did Josiah do that? Why did he have that kind of response? Because his heart was tender and obedient. He was ready to do anything which scripture showed him was his duty. Oh, that you may follow the last of these two and not the first. He goes on, he says, and read it, talking about the Bible, read it regularly. This is the only way to become, quote unquote, mighty in scriptures. A quick glance at the Bible now and then does little good. At that rate, you will never become familiar with its treasures or feel the sword of the spirit fitted to your hand in the hour of conflict. That is good. Let me read this again. He's saying you got to read the Bible regularly every day. You got to read it often. You've got to just, you know, get in the word and get the word in you. A quick glance at the Bible now and then does little good. At that rate, you will never become familiar with its treasures or feel the sword of the spirit fitted to your hand in the hour of conflict. These people that just want to read a verse a day on the Bible app and feel like I'm good. I'm good spiritually. I'm strong. No, you're not. No, you're not. You must bury yourselves in the word of God. If you don't like reading the actual words on a page, then get the audio Bible. Get in the word and get the word in you. He goes on, he says, but store up your mind with scripture by diligently reading and you will soon discover its value and power. Text, the text of scripture will rise up in your hearts in the moment of temptation. Commands will suggest themselves in times of doubt. Promises will come across your thoughts in the time of discouragement. And thus you will experience the truth of David's words. I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Psalm 119, 11. And of Solomon's words, when you walk, they will guide you. When you sleep, they will watch over you. When you awake, they will speak to you. Proverbs 6, 22. Man, grab a sip of my coffee. I was thinking about this, how um, I have a vague knowledge of Spanish, the Spanish language. I have a vague knowledge of the French language. I took a couple years of Spanish and I took a semester of French. I have a vague knowledge. Could I operate in a Spanish speaking society or French? No, I am not that familiar with it. I, I, I would have a very rough time. I couldn't do it. I couldn't be successful there holding a job talking to people, communicating, finding out if there was a disaster coming. I couldn't understand. Dude, when it comes to scripture, you've got to have more than a vague knowledge. You've got to have more than a Bible verse a day that you read on the Bible app. You've got to become so 
entrenched in it, so familiar with it that like he says, passages of scripture are going to come up in your heart and your mind in the moment of temptation. You'll be tempted and all of a sudden a scripture will come to mind. Commands will suggest themselves in times of doubt. Promises will come across your thoughts in times of discouragement. And you will experience the truth of David's words. I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. And then he brings up the words of Solomon in Proverbs 6, 22, talking about like when you walk, the word of God will guide you. When you sleep, the word of God will watch over you. When you awake, the word of God will speak to you. That is never going to happen with just a vague knowledge of the word of God, just a a light, casual reading, a little verse of the day with the Bible app that will never happen. You'll never experience that kind of incredible Christian life. J.C. Ryle goes on, he says, I dwell on these things more because this is an age of reading. There seems no end. There seems no end to the producing of many books, though few of them are really profitable. There seems a rage for cheap printing and publishing. Newspapers of every sort abound. And the tone of some which have the widest circulation speaks badly for the taste of the age. Amid the flood of dangerous reading, I plead for my master's book. I call upon you not to forget the book of the soul. Do not let newspapers, novels, and romances be read while the prophets and apostles be despised. Do not let the exciting and sensual swallow up your attention while the edifying and the sanctifying can find no place in your mind. Man, if this is what J.C. Ryle thought back in the 1800s, about the age of reading, all these books everywhere now, all these newspapers everywhere now, what would he think of today with the distractions we have? You are inundated with so many messages, information, distractions coming at you with your phone, social media, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Snapchat, YouTube, TikTok, news apps, bing, ping, 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 ping. And he's saying, listen, don't let all of those things be read while the prophets and the apostles are despised. Don't let the exciting and the sensual swallow up your attention while the edifying and the sanctifying find no place in your mind. Do not let those things be more valuable or take up more of your time than the scriptures. Dude, that is good for all of us to hear, including myself. How much time do we spend on our phone? You can look at your phone and track it. How many hours did you spend scrolling through your phone, looking at various things, watching various things, listening to various things, and then compare it? How much time have you spent in the Word of God? And sometimes we wonder why we are where we are spiritually, why we are so weak so prone to wonder why we give in and relapse so much. He goes on, he says, young men, give the Bible the honor due to it every day you live. Whatever you read, read that first. (laughs) I love it, dude. Give it to him, Rao. Says when you get up in the morning, whatever you read, read your Bible first. And beware of bad books, he says. There are plenty in this day Take heed to what you read. I suspect there is more harm done to souls in this way than most people have an idea as possible. Value all books in proportion as they are agreeable to Scripture. Those are those that are near it, nearest to it are the best books, and those that are farthest from it and most contrary to it, the worst books. Never make an... In- all right, hang on. I'll stop right there because now he's getting into part six. I want to finish talking about this. He says, books are good, but the books you want to stay most planted in, apart from the Bible, Bible first, is books that are close to the Bible, books that gel with the Bible. These books that are very contrary to the scriptures, those are the worst. You want to avoid those. The only time I would say it is appropriate maybe to read some book that is contrary to the Bible 
uh, is that you might be using that uh, for some reason to make a point um, that it is wrong and that the Bible is right. In other words, I have read some books uh, from atheists, from opponents of scripture, and I've taken portions of their book so that I could answer, refute, show what scripture really says, show what history says. Hope that makes sense to you. There are so many books I've begun reading and so many movies I've started to watch and I should have done my homework better. And I'm just like, I'm not reading this. This is junk. This is twisted. I don't even agree with this. This is just so far out there. Watch a movie and I'm just like, I didn't even know it was about this. This is so dumb. This is a waste of time or this, this has too much tempting junk in it. Turn it off. Then he goes on. Number six. For young men, um, general counsel or general guidance, he says, never make an intimate friend of anyone who is not a friend of God. Never make an intimate friend, a close friend. Never make a close friend of anyone who is not a friend of God. Understand me. I do not speak of acquaintances. I do not mean that you ought to have nothing to do with anyone but true Christians. To take such a line is neither possible nor desirable in this world. Christianity requires no man to be discourteous, but I do advise you to be very careful in your choice of friends. Do not open all your heart to a man merely because he is clever, agreeable, good-natured, and kind. These things are all very well in their way, but they are not everything. Never be satisfied with the friendship of anyone who will not be useful to your soul. Let me grab a sip of my coffee. He goes on, he says, Believe me, the importance of this advice cannot be overrated. There is no telling the harm that is done by associating with the godless companions and friends. With, let me read that again slower. There is no telling the harm that is done by associating with the godless, with godless companions and friends. The devil has few better helps in ruining a man's soul. Grant him this help, and he cares little for all the armor with which you may be armed against him. Good education, early habits of morality, sermons, books, all he knows well will avail you little if you will only cling to ungodly friends. This is good. Let me pause here and make sure you guys are getting what he's saying here. He says, listen, man, the thing that'll help the devil the most to accomplish his mission and really destroying your life and making you just pretty much useless for the kingdom of God, the thing that'll help him the most is for you to choose the wrong close friends, close companions. He says, man, there's, there's nothing you can do that'll, that'll help him more. He says, because the devil could care less about all the other armor all your good education, maybe you went to Bible college, maybe you went to seminary, all your early habits of morality, all the sermons you listen to, all the books you've read. He says the devil knows that that will avail you little if you cling to ungodly friends. Show me, I'm saying this, guys, listen to me. I heard, I heard a preacher say this to me years ago and it always stuck with me. Show me your friends. Some of you just finished it. You know what it is. Show me your friends and I'll show you your future. Show me your friends and I'll show you your future. You may resist many open temptations, refuse many plain snares, but once you take up a bad companion or a bad friend and he is, and he is content, that awful chapter which describes Amnon's wicked conduct about Tamar almost begins with these words. Now Amnon had a friend, a very shrewd man. 2 Samuel 13.3. Where did his sin start? It all started with who he was hanging out with. You must remember, we are all creatures of imitation. Precept may teach us, but it is example that draws us. There is that in us all that we are always disposed to catch the ways 
of those with whom we live. And the more we like them, the stronger does the disposition grow. He's saying who you hang out with and who you like the most is friends. You're going to become like them. You're going to pick up their ways, their values, the way they talk, the things they do, the decisions that they make. You're going to become like them. So be very careful who your close companions are. Without our being aware of it, they influence our taste and opinions. We gradually give up what they dislike and take up what they like in order to become closer friends with them. And worst of all, we catch their ways in things that are wrong far quicker than in things that are right. Health, unhappily, is not contagious, but disease is. It is far more easier to catch a chill than to impart a warmth and to make each other's religion dwindle away than to grow and prosper. Guys, this, I can't say enough about this number five right here. I remember I had to start making decisions in high school after I gave my life to Jesus Christ, who I was going to spend the majority of my time with. There were certain friends that I just didn't hang out with much anymore because they didn't have a heart for God. They didn't want to serve him, live for him. Holiness was not a big deal to them. They were still dabbling in all sorts of sin and thought it was fun and thought it was funny. And I was like, I want something different. I want to make an impact for the cause of Christ. And so I found some new friends, some new close companions, and I could count them on one hand, by the way. And that was okay. I had to make the same decision in college, even at a large Christian university. I went to Liberty University. There's a whole lot of people at that large Christian university that, man, they got a form of religion, a form of godliness, but they really, in their heart, don't care about it. I had to intentionally seek out guy friends and girlfriends that really did care about those things. The girl that I chose to start dating that I ended up marrying, one of the biggest things that attracted me to her was not her outward looks, was that I saw, I knew her since high school, but I saw when she got to college, she had a heart change. She began to have a heart for the things of God to please God, to serve God. I wasn't even her boyfriend. And I saw that and that attracted me to her. I wanted to become her friend and spend time with her. And I did. It all started just as good friends talking about the things of the Lord. What do we get out of church? What do we get out of campus church? What was going on in your hall? Cause she was a, a prayer leader in, in her dorm at Liberty. I was a prayer leader. And then I became a spiritual life director in our, in my hall. She became one. We would talk about the things of the Lord. We talked about other things, goofy things, fun things, but we talked about that a lot. I told her about how I wanted to, my life, I wanted to serve God in ministry how I was working at a Christian camp in the summer. And then she got a job at that Christian camp on her own. My point is I was making choices, man. Who are going to be my close companions, my close friends? It's still that way to this day. My closest friends who I share the most intimate details of my life, who I open my heart to, are friends who are serious about the things of God who care about my soul. And you say, I don't have any friends like that. You've got one. You've got Christ. You've got the Holy Spirit. Now you can pray to him and say, I need more. You got to go seek them out. They're out there. I'd rather walk alone with Christ going the right way than walk with thousands of quote unquote friends that are walking the wrong way. You understand what I'm saying? I think I said that right. He goes on, he says, and worst of all, I think I read this part already, but he says, worst of all, we catch their ways. We pick up the ways of those we, we hang out with. We pick up the things that are wrong from them quicker than the things that are right. Health, unhappily, is not contagious, but disease is. Dude, 
What he's saying is it's so much easier to pick up bad habits, sinful habits than it is right habits. So if you're rolling with people that are doing bad things, dude, don't be surprised if within a matter of days, weeks, maybe it'll take a month, you're doing it with them. Young men, I ask you to take these things to heart before you let anyone become your constant companion, before you get into the habit of telling him everything and going to him with all your troubles and all your pleasures. Before you do this, just think of what I've been saying. Ask yourself, will this be a useful friendship to me or will it not? Guys, be careful who your close friends are. Be careful who you go on a date with. Oh, she's a Christian. Is she? Can you tell that by her life? Is it obvious from her life that Jesus is her Lord? Be careful who your close friends are. Be careful who you date. Does that person draw you closer to God or further away from God? We will end up becoming like them. Choose them carefully. 1 Corinthians 15.33 says, Bad company corrupts good character. I wish that texts were written in the heart. I wish that text of scripture, that Bible verse was written in the hearts of all young men. Good friends are among our greatest blessings. They may keep us away from much evil, remind us of our course, speak an appropriate word at the right time, draw us upward and draw us on. But a bad friend is a burden, a weight continually dragging us down and chaining us to earth. Keep company with an unsaved man and it is more than probable you will in the end become like him. That is the general consequence of all such friendships. The good go down to the bad, and the bad do not come up to the good. The world's proverb is only too correct. Clothes and company tell true tales about character. Clothes and company tell true tales about character. Show me who a man lives with, and I will show you what he is. Mm. I dwell upon this point because it has more to do with your prospects in life than first appears. If you ever marry, it is more than probable you will choose a wife from among your circle of friends or their acquaintances. If Jehoshaphat's son, Jehoram, had not formed a friendship with Ahab's family, he would most likely not have married Ahab's daughter. And who can estimate the importance of a right choice in marriage? It is a step which, according to the old saying, either makes a man or ruins a man. Your happiness in both in both lives may depend on it. Your wife must either help your soul or harm it. She will either fan the flame of Christianity in your heart or throw cold water upon it and make it burn low. She will either be wings or handcuffs, an encouragement or a hindrance to your Christianity, according to her character. He that finds a good wife does indeed find a good thing. So if you have the desire to find one, be careful how you choose your friends. Guys, this is, he's nailing it. This is what I was just saying earlier about who you're dating. I know you want to date the hot girl, the one that is bam with her physical looks, but what's her heart like? That's what's most important. Physical beauty fades. (laughs) It does. Health deteriorates. Is she a person on the inside that you're seriously like, I would want to spend the rest of my life with that kind of person that I see on the inside? She's a person on the inside that you're like, I would love for her to be the mother of my children. My children would be blessed to have her as their mother. J.C. Ryle goes on, he says, do you ask me what kind of friends you should choose? Choose friends who will benefit your soul. Friends whom you can really respect. Friends whom you would like to have near you on your deathbed. Friends who love the Bible and are not afraid to speak to you about it. 
friends that you would not be ashamed of having at the coming of Christ in the day of judgment. I got to read that again. Good night, almighty duty. Choose friends who will benefit your soul, friends whom you can really respect, friends whom you would like to have near you on your deathbed, friends who love the Bible and are not afraid to speak to you about it, friends that would not be ashamed of you would not be ashamed of having at the coming of Christ and the day of judgment. Follow the example that David sets for you. He says, I am a friend to all who fear you, to all who follow your precepts. Psalm 119, 63. Remember the words of Solomon. He who walks with the wise grows wise, but a companion of fools suffers harm. Proverbs 13, 20. But depend on it. Bad company in this life is the sure way to procure worse company in the life to come. Mm. Once again, J.C. Rowell is on fire. That's why I'm going through this book with you guys. Who you hang with, who you hang with will either help or hinder your sanctification. Listen, guys, some of your quote unquote friends, you need to divorce them. You need to get on your computer, go to Microsoft Word, and you need to print out a certificate of divorce and you need to sign it and send it to them. We're, we're done. I'm divorcing you. <laughs> I'm serious. Because they're bringing you down, man. You're staying where you are. Or you're getting worse because of them. And you have the power to end that and seek out better friendships. You have the power. You can make the choice. Don't be one of these, one. Well, you know, I'm so insecure. I have to have someone with me all the time. You do. Lean on Christ until he brings good, godly friends into your life. And you've got to pursue that. Move far away from those who bring you down spiritually. Show me your friends and I'll show you your future. Guys, take heed to these words from J.C. Ryle. Much is at stake. This is not a game. This is nothing to blow off or postpone. Step up and man up. Stay tuned for a few closing items of Grizz. Biz. If you're looking to cut... Yeah, I hit one of the wrong buttons. <laughs> I was trying to hit like some cool sound effect with the music. I hit like the Covenant Eyes commercial. I don't care. I'm not edi editing it out. Welcome to my life. Full of mistakes. Full of shortcomings. I'm a great sinner. Christ is a great savior. A few closing items of Grizz Biz. Hey, if you want to contact the Grizz, me, Jason George, I'd love to hear from you. My contact info is in the show notes. My email is jason at narrowtrail.com. Jason at narrowtrail.com. My social media handle is Grizz Podcast, G-R-I-Z Podcast. You can find me on Facebook, YouTube, Spotify, Twitter, Apple, SoundCloud. Yeah. If you like this show, please leave us a quick rating, review, wherever you listen. Hit that subscribe button so that you'll be notified every time a new episode drops. Share this episode with a friend of your men's group. I'm serious, man. Like right now, share this episode with someone who needs it. Leave us a quick rating and review. Come on, dude. Give us some five-star love. Yeah. 
If you are interested in joining, joining one of our online climb teams that'll help you overcome your struggle with porn and lust and help you grow in Christ likeness with brothers from other mothers, good companions that are going to lift you up. If you're interested in that, go to narrowtrail.com, narrowtrail.com, click on the climb team page. You can fill out the short online application. We have some open spots in two of our groups. Guys, let 2024 be a year of breakthrough in your life spiritually. Be the year that you bring your sin to the light and learn how to overcome it. Man, it's been holding you back long enough. If you could do it on your own, you'd have done it by now. Also, encourage you to get Covenant Eyes internet accountability software on all of your devices and on your kids' and teens' devices. I use it on all of my computers, my iPhone. It's a huge help in the battle for personal purity. Go to CovenantEyes.com, CovenantEyes.com, and at checkout, use the promo code GRIZZIN, G-R-I-Z-Z-I-N, GRIZZIN. They're going to give you your first month completely free. Also, guys, if you listen every week to the Grizz Podcast, consider becoming one of our monthly supporters for just $10 or $25 per month. Man, we need that. That helps us do what we do. You know what I'm saying? We can't do it without you, man. The Grizz Podcast is an outreach of Narrow Trail Ministries. Go to our website, narrowtrail.com, narrowtrail.com. Click on the Give page. You can set that up. I promise it's safe, it's secure, it's easy. And uh, you can cancel at any time. Thanks for listening, my brothers. I hope to be back at you next week with another epic episode of The Grizz. Until then, honor God, live manly. I'm out. Wanna be your lover boy? Huh? Oh, Billy Ocean, lover boy. You a lover boy? Yeah, you can be. Better be loving God first. Love your wife second. Yeah, love you kids. Yeah. Grizz is out. <laughs>